good to be here with you this evening. It's awesome to have the privilege to, to share this evening. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Marvin Slayton. I'm one of the overseeing elders here at uh, SOMA. And that video served as uh, inspiration to Tony, obviously, for um, doing the sermon series. He, ser- he started the sermon series last week, and obviously it's called The Race. Um, and he started with um, a message that was entitled The Prize, okay? Everybody say The Prize. Um, he talked about that there is both uh, an earthly and heavenly reward of a race well ran, but the greatest prize is hearing those wonderful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So I'm going to loosen, loosen us up a little bit tonight and uh, have a little bit of humor. Uh, I came across this, uh, this little joke this week and I thought it was too good to pass up, okay? So there was this little boy and he asked his father, he said, Dad, he said, how were people born? His father looks at him and he said, well, son, Adam and Eve made babies, then their babies became adults and made babies and so on. Child looks at him and said, okay. Then he went on to his mother, asked her the same question, and she looks at him and she says, well, son, we were monkeys. Then we evolved to become like we are now. Child takes a step back and looks at her. Then he ran straight back to his dad. He looks at his dad. He said, Dad, you lied to me. His father replied, No, son, your mom was just talking about her side of the family. (laughs) (laughs) Don't nudge your spouse right now. Thought it was too good to pass up. Anyway, tonight we're going to keep going. This is week two in the race. I'm excited to be sharing. And tonight we're going to talk about preparation for the race. Preparation for the race. When I was in high school, I played uh, basketball and baseball. And in the baseball dugout at my high school, um, there was this banner, and it was like it was more like a metal sign. And it said the six P's. It was the number six, a capital P, an apostrophe, and a lowercase s. The six P's. Okay. The six P's were proper preparation prevents pathetic poor performance. Proper preparation prevents pathetic poor performance. And I thought, how clever. Tonight, the sermon in a sentence, prepare to win. Prepare to win. If you're a believer in this room, then you have entered into the race of faith in the Christian life. You've crossed the starting line and are moving towards the prize. The race has already started, but there is a daily preparation that has to take place to help you run the race as to win. And make no mistake, it is about winning the race. Why? The Bible tells us that much. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, you don't have to turn there. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. Run in such a way that you may win the race. Winning all starts with preparation. A preparedness for everything that the race will throw at you. And as you know, if you've been at this for any amount of time, 
the race of life, the race of faith will throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. A preparedness. This evening, I want to give you three major points when it comes to preparation. The first one is this. Be all in. Everybody say that. Be all in. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 13. Book of John, chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 5 and go through 9. This is when Jesus, this is a story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And you might be thinking, man, we're in a sermon series called The Race. I just said, let's be all in. What in the heck could Jesus washing the disciples' feet, how could that be talking about being all in, being prepared to win the race? And I, I would submit, I think it clearly shows us a lot about being all in. John chapter 13, verse five. I'll read it here. It says, after that, Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You know why, Lord? Because for the past three years, I've walked behind you and I've walked beside you. And I've seen blind eyes come open. I've seen deaf ears hear. I've seen lame people walk. I've seen restoration after restoration, redemption after redemption, God. Lord, if this, what this, if this is what it's about, God, not just my feet, God, not just some of me, not just a little bit of me, not just half of me, God, not even just most of me, God. God, all of me, not just my feet, not just my head. Take that whole stinking basin and dump it on top of my head. Because if this is about all of you, I want all of you. I want to be all in. If this is about me having a marriage that is full of life and victory and a a marriage that reflects you and is full of your goodness, Lord, and intimacy and passion, then Lord, take the whole basin and dump it on my head. Not just a little bit, God. Not just my toes in it, God. God, if this is about you, Lord, and you being all over my children, not just children who kind of like you, not just children who kind of love you, who kind of serve you, but kids who give their whole life to you, who want to passionately follow you all the days of my life, then God, take the whole thing and dump it on my head. God, if this is about my calling and my purpose on this earth and me fulfilling everything that you have for me on this earth. Not just my feet. Not just my hands. Not some of me. Not part of me. Not most of me. God, take the whole thing and dump it 
on my head because I'm going to be all in because I know what I've experienced these past three years. And I want every single bit of it. I want every single bit of it. We're talking about running a race to win. Being prepared to win. And it starts with being all in. You know, what Peter's saying here is I want to be immersed. I want to be submerged, God, in all of you. You know, when you look at this, at being all in, it really comes down to one question, the way I look at it, and it's this. What do you value? What do you value? In the sense of someone who's in a race, they have to daily ask themselves, do I really value winning? Do I really value competing? Do I value giving my best? Do I value getting better, stronger, and faster? Do I value the process and the journey of it? Do I value those things? When it comes to our faith, every day we are faced with choices and our response to those choices really shows what we value. You can say with your words, this, that, and the other, but your actions will tell me and everyone else what you value in your life. Your actions will tell everyone if you are all in. If it's just my feet being washed or if you want God to take the thing and dump it all over you. You guys, uh, I'm sure, have watched the Olympics at some point in your life or I've been to a high school track meet or junior high or whatever. Well, a couple of the events in the Olympics and track meets and so forth are um, relay races, okay? And so relay races, they're typically the 4 by 100 the 4 by 400 um, There's four, there's typically four people and there's a baton and they, pit, they pass the baton, they run, pass it around the track. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so the reality is in a relay race, that that team is only as strong is only as strong as their weakest link. They're only as strong as their weakest link. They're only as strong as their weakest runner. And guys, look at me. I'm not talking about talent. I'm not talking about gifting. I'm not talking about skill. That's not what I'm talking about. Those things vary. Those relay teams are only as strong as how much each person, each member is bought completely in. Because you can have all of the talent, all of the skill, all of the gifting, but if you're not bought completely in, the whole relay team will suffer. And I'm not just talking about physically. Mentally, emotionally, if you're not all in, the whole team can suffer. The reality is, guys, is that we don't live our, we don't run this race of faith alone. We run this race of faith with a family, if you're married with a spouse, with children, with extended family, and you run it in this community. 
in the body of Christ, which is for us Soma Tyler. The body of Christ, this community, we're only as strong as the weakest one, as the buy-in of everyone. Are we all in? The greatest hindrance to the effectiveness of the body of Christ are people who are not bought all in. Does it have anything to do with skill or talent or gifting? It has everything to do with Jesus. Not just my feet. but my hands and my head. Because I don't want just good. I want God in every area. We're talking about a preparedness to win. The first step is we have to be all in. The second thing is we have to be introspective. Anyone going to compete in anything will need to first assess, to take inventory of where they are. What condition am I in? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I need to watch for? What do I need to be aware of? Hebrews 12, one and two, and you don't have to turn there. I wanna read it to you, but before I do, I wanna preface, I'm reading this out of the message version because I think it really speaks to uh, this sermon series in the context of what we're talking about right now. We're talking about being in, introspective, taking inventory. Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race, were in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. Folks, God desires for us to run free without hindrance. He is calling us to lay aside the things which ensnare and entangle that we can run without anything hindering us. So we're talking about being introspective and taking inventory of our lives. And the Bible really mentions two things there. And the first one is this, the things or the choices that weigh us down, the things or choices that weigh us down. This is talking about when we make secondary things primary things in our life, when we settle for lesser lovers in our life, when good replaces God in our life. These are things that are not necessarily sins, okay? They're things that are not necessarily sins, but they're really just not the smartest, okay? So if you're taking notes, not sin, but not smart, okay? So two things here, and I'm going to start with a little bit of lighthearted, and then I'm going to dive deeper quickly. Um, But if you're setting out to run some type of a race, whether it's a marathon or triathlon or 10K or 5K, there's going to be preparation. You're going to practice in the days and weeks and everything leading up. And let's just say it's the Wednesday of a week. And let's say that, uh, you know, a month from then you've set out and you want to run a 10K, okay, 6.2 miles. Well, it's Wednesday and you know that you've, your, your race that day, I mean, your practice that day is 
you know, you got to run four miles and, and you're going to start in an hour. But man, you're really, really hungry. And you're driving home and over there to your left, you see Chipotle and you think, gosh, how long has it been? How long has it been since I've had Chipotle? And you're like, no, I've got to go run four miles. And then you're like, no, but that's in 45 minutes. So you put on your blinker and you cruise into Chipotle and you get that steak burrito that's loaded with everything and all of its goodness and you devour that thing and all of its 2,000 calories and you're about 32 minutes now from having to run four miles in preparation for this race. Now guys, I can't think of anything that would hinder you more in running four miles than a Chipotle burrito sitting right there in your stomach. (laughs) Am I right? I mean, we're not going to get very far, are we? But those things taste good. They taste real good. It's not a sin, but it sure ain't smart, is it? It sure is not smart. You know, not only would it hinder you, that thing's probably going to weigh you down because I think they weigh about 3.7 pounds, right? Not sin, but not smart. All of us in here, you know, if you're a believer in this room, we battle through struggles in our life. We battle through difficulties, vices, sin struggles. Um, all, all of us do, okay? And we know that if there is one thing, one thing that brings about freedom, renewal, refreshing, that, get, that will lead the way to greater uh, victory and freedom in our life, it is the word of God, amen? It is ingesting the word of God in any possible way that we can. But like I said, we're humans. Most of us are believers in this room. God has given us the greatest commodity in the world to us, and that is time. And you know what? God's really interested in how you steward that time. But again, we're believers in here, and we want to walk. We want to be on a path. We want to run this race to greater victory and to greater freedom. But If two hours and 49 minutes of our day is mindlessly surfing the web and watching TV and seven and a half minutes of our day is reading and ingesting the word, I think we need to take a step back and we need to look at what we value, what we want, and if we're really all in. Now, don't be completely offended because I wrote this message to myself first, okay? (laughs) So this is speaking to me as well. And TV and internet is not important. The numbers are arbitrary there. You guys get what I'm saying. Our greatest commodity is time. God is very interested in how we're going to steward that time. And on our hearts, all of our hearts, is greater freedom, greater victory, greater connection and intimacy with Jesus, operating in the purposes and the plans that he has for our life. That's always on top of our mind. If it's not, it should be. So the reality is, is that our choices should reflect the value. Our time should reflect that value. And I don't know what the time is for you of reading the word and ingesting it and being in his presence. But let me tell you this. You know where you're at in your spiritual walk with him, where you're at on this race of life, this race of faith. You know what it will take. You know. Steward your time well. 
Get in the word in any way you can as much as possible. Am I talking to the right people here? Can I get an amen in this place? talking about being introspective, taking inventory. Those are the things that weigh us down. They're not sins necessarily. They're just not smart. When you're taking inventory, when you're assessing your life, look at those things. Look at those things. They're like, man, this isn't a sin, but dead gum. This is just really ain't that smart. And how many times every day do we look back and like, oh God, man, that, that, that is just not smart. That was not a good, I was not being a good steward. The Bible talks about those are the things that weigh down. Those are the things that hinder. That's the first part of what Romans 12.1 was talking about there. The second part is this. The sins that we get entangled in or the besetting sins. Okay, so this is beyond just the not smart stuff. This is the sin stuff. Scholar James Kaufman said this. He said, in the sin which does so easily beset us is the second class of hindrance the Christian contender must avoid. It refers to conduct inherently unrighteous, which is always a mortal enemy of faith. Nowhere else in the New Testament is the word equivalent to easily besetting to be found. And various views of what is meant by the expression have been advanced. The word from which such a modifier of sin comes is akin to the word circumstance. As Bristol, he's another scholar, noted, the Latin translation is circumstance, denoting something that surrounds. Okay, we're talking about besetting sin here. Something that surrounds. Adam Clark, a different scholar, observed this and defined the besetting sin accordingly, saying, the well-circumstanced sin, that which has everything in its favor, time, place, and opportunity. Clark went on, If a paraphrase may be ventured, perhaps it means lay aside the sin that is always so conveniently close to us. Man, that's good. I mean, that's bad, but that's good. The well-circumstanced sin. Lay aside the sin that is always so conveniently close to us. I don't need to stand up here and list off the sins to you. You guys know what they are. Multiple places in the Bible, there are lists of sin. Sin, by definition, is a missing of the mark. Um, By biblical definition, is lawlessness. Sin is a disobeying or rebelling rebelling from God's word or his ways, okay? I think we all know this. And even more than that, you know more than anyone what your sin or what your sin struggles are. We are all very acquainted with that. There is a path to getting untangled and running freely. And in my experience, my 17 years of believer, being submitted to the church, to mentorship, to discipleship, to being someone who I think I can say is all in, that path to me, is really a four-step process. Okay, so we're talking about here taking inventory, okay, Uh, being introspective, being prepared to win, okay? Okay, specifically here, this path 
It's a process to greater freedom and greater victory, which is on our hearts every day. And folks, it starts with this. Number one is repentance. Repent. Daily repentance. Turn from your evil ways and talk to God about where you're at. Talk to God about your struggles. That's what repentance is. It's literally a turning for what you were doing and not just a turning and going the other direction. It is a turning, going the other direction and an embracing of something else. That something else being God. It's not just enough to turn, guys. Turning will not ultimately end in repentance. Repenting over and over will not ultimately end in true repentance. There has to be the embracing of something else. That something else is God in his word, and his ways, and like I said, ingesting him in every way possible in our life. Daily repentance. The second thing is you have to tell someone about it. Privacy is the breeding ground for impurity. You must be accountable. It feels like, I mean, I've preached three or four times the past three months. It feels like that comes up in every message. And maybe it should. We got to tell someone about it, guys. Privacy is the breeding ground for impurity. We're on the path to greater victory here, to greater freedom. The third thing is let the word wash over you daily. We just talked about it. The word's got to wash over you daily. Folks, if it's not a daily thing, if the word isn't in us consistently as much as humanly possible, we have no chance. I've set that up here before. We, you, you have no shot. I'm not talking about you losing your salvation. That has nothing to do with salvation. I'm talking about people who are running a race to win it. To win the race. People who say, no, Jesus, not just my feet, my hands and my head. I want it all. I want it all. The word has to wash consistently, immensely. We've got to be submerged. And the fourth thing, and equally as important in my opinion as the others, and of course this is my experience and my opinion, um, is you have to set yourself up for success. I'm going to read some things here. They're a little bit lighthearted, but you guys will understand, and it's actually full of truth. But if you struggle with drunkenness, you might want to do something about the liquor cabinet in your den. If you struggle with marijuana, you might want to not vacation to Colorado or Oregon, I think. Diving a little deeper, if you struggle with lust and pornography, you might want to steer clear of movies with explicit material and websites that don't leave room for imagination. Man, what do you what do you value? Do you want to win the race? God said, run the race to win the race. I'm just reading what he said. There's a path to victory. I just told you, this isn't maybe the only path, but this is a proven path. Those four steps. Repent, be accountable, let the word wash over you. Set yourself up for success. Set yourself up for success. We have to be all in. We have to be introspective. And lastly, the third thing, and, and 
equally as important is we have to be coachable. We have to be coachable. If we're going to win in this race of faith, we're not going to do it alone. Everybody say alone. If you're going to win in this race of faith, you won't win alone. You won't win alone. In most cases, it takes a tribe of people. Everybody say tribe. It takes a tribe of people around you to accomplish individual success. Your sustained success in life will in many ways hinge on you remaining coachable and teachable. Your sustained success will hinge on you remaining coachable and teachable. Proverbs 13, 18, you don't have to turn there. It says, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now, let me read this one. Proverbs 29, 1 says, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck. Everybody stiffen your neck. Come on, everybody get a good neck stiffen. Who's often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Goodness. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. You know, when I was praying and thinking into this, there's, I think, many things that would cause us to stiffen our necks and to not be coachable. But when you look at it, I think one of the things that really rises to the top is when you've been on the journey a little bit and you've tasted the successes, you've tasted the victories, you've heard the applause, received the rewards. And what happens and we're human, it happens. Through the back door, this little thing, it's a, it's a terrible five-letter word called pride, starts seeping in. And man, oh God, God does not like pride. It starts seeping in, and as it seeps in the back door, up the spine, the neck just stiffens. And all of a sudden, You're not quite as coachable. You're not quite as teachable. You're not heeding the instructions. The life group leader is telling you something. Yeah. Listen to a podcast. That guy probably doesn't really know what he's talking about. Pastor's teaching. It's okay. That neck just stiffens. Pride seeps in more and more. Why? All because of a... And somehow, some way, somewhere along the way, we kind of think we arrived. We accomplished it. We did it. We're, we're there. If you're breathing air in this room, you haven't obtained the ultimate prize. You haven't heard those final words. 
This is beyond salvation. I'm talking about winning a race to win the race. Your salvation is secure in him. That's not anything you did. You believed. This is what he did on the cross. That's your salvation. Running the race to win is about you and your focus and your efforts and what you're going to do to partner with Jesus to win the race. I want to end with this story. I'm going to take you way back to the late 90s. <laughs> My high school years. So I told you earlier that I played uh, baseball and basketball. Basketball was my main sport in high school. Um, I was decent at it. My, my sophomore year, I, I was able to, they moved me up and I was able to play varsity basketball my sophomore year. I was 15, had no idea what I was doing. And I, in my opinion, it showed on the court. Um, and so I wasn't that great. Um, team wasn't that great. Fast forward to my junior year and all of a sudden the team's really good. And we went a lot of games, go to the playoffs, and I had gotten a lot better, and I was an important part of the team. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, um, just to add some more context to this, I grew up just north of here in a town called Lindell. That's where I went to high school. Um, we were a 4A basketball team, and uh, we played against Mr. Ben Clark right there. He went to White House. And uh, so we were in District 17 4A, okay? So that district back then was White House and Lindale and Palestine and Athens and Jacksonville. And I'm leaving out a few, but it was seven or eight teams, okay? So we go through the year, we're a really good team and uh, have good players. And we get through the year. And what happens at the end of the year is the coaches come together and they vote on a list of accolades, basically, for players. And there's starts with MVP of the whole district, and then offensive MVP, then defensive MVP, then first team all district, then second team all district. You guys, you, you get the point. So the coaches come together and they vote on that. Well, um, since spring of my junior year, and I'm sitting in Spanish two class, not knowing what's going on. I never really figured out what was going on in Spanish. But it's back when schools had uh, announcements, and there were student-led announcements. I don't know if they still do that. This was 20 years ago. Um, and so the announcements came on, and this girl was talking, and they got to the boys and girls' accolades from the season that had just happened. And they get to the boys' section, and it lists, okay, MVP is this, and offensive MVP and defensive MVP, and then the first team all district. Well, in basketball, there's five people on a court, so there's five people who are first team. And they said my name. They said my name as the, the first team all district point guard my junior year. And honestly, I wasn't even sure what accolades were, like how they did that or whatever. I was pretty shocked. And the reality is, is I felt real good about myself. And, you know, honestly, I should have. But like I said, in the back door, pride started seeping in. That was the first big accolade. So fast forward, okay, Here's Marvin, junior, proud of himself. Fast forward to the summer after my junior year. My coach comes to me, amazing coach, played a really high level of college basketball. And he comes to me and says, Marvin, hey, we, uh, I know you're getting ready for you know, the upcoming school year and I know she's working hard, all those things. He said, I just want to let you know, we lost a lot of scoring off of last year's team. We lost a lot of really good players. And uh, he said, so... We have some good players coming back, obviously, but um, 
I'm gonna need you to really focus on one area. He said, we're going to have to get scoring from somewhere. And he said, I'm going to need you to score more points next year. And he said, what I want you to do this summer is I want you and Daniel. Daniel was my best friend. He was 6'4", long arm, played in college. He was way better than I was. He said, what I want you two to do is play one-on-one every single day. I said, okay. And you know what? I might have played Daniel one-on-one three times that summer. I hated playing one-on-one. That wasn't my game. I was an open court point guard. I liked to pass, dribble. I liked to play defense. Great spot up three-point shooter. I was not a one-on-one player. Daniel, on the other hand, was amazing. Amazing. And I didn't want anything to do with that. Nothing to do with it. So I go through the whole summer. I don't do what the coach says. We get into my senior year and we have the season. And you know what? At the end of the year of that district, I actually was voted the defensive player of the year in that district. But you know what? I didn't need to be the defensive player of the year. I needed to be someone who scored more points. Folks, we lost seven or eight games by two, three, four points. I look back and I think, and I think about this 20 years later. What is the one thing my coach told me to do? We need more points from you. Guys, our decisions in our life are not isolated to ourselves. I want to read this to you. We are all on a team. The decisions and choices we make are never isolated to ourselves. They always affect others. Your family, your friends, your church community. They always affect others. Man, if I would have just heeded the advice, if I wouldn't have stiffened my neck, if I wouldn't have rested on my accolades, probably won more games. Probably had a better experience, not just for me, but for the whole team. We're in this race of faith, this race of life. And if we're going to be in it, let's be in it to win it. That's the calling from the Lord. Let's be all in. Let's be introspective. Let's assess. Let's take inventory. Let's get on the path to greater freedom, to greater victory. And let's be coachable. Let's be people who can be mentored, be discipled, be trained, regardless regardless of where you're at in the race.